Hello and welcome to Telecom's Takeaway. This is the third podcast in our new series talking about topical telecoms issues and insights. And today we're looking at ESG in the communications sector. I'm sure we've all heard the commitments that the big operators have made to net zero and the GSMA's ambition for the industry to be net zero by 2050. What we're going to look at today though is the practical application, how net zero goals need to translate into supply chain contracts in the UK and in Europe. First of all though, introductions. I'm Eleanor Williams. I'm an Associate Director in the commercial team specialising in telecoms and technology transactions. And I'm joined today by some real experts in this area. From the UK, we have Matt Germain, a partner and head of our environmental and sustainability practice, and Victoria Gwyneth-Jones, legal director and complex contracting expert in the commercial team. And for an international perspective, I'm delighted to also be joined by Roger Seguera, partner in our Spanish telecoms team, and Joanna Peltzman, partner and head of our environmental practice in France. Thanks everyone for joining me, and I am really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. So if I can kick things off with you first, Matt, um, why is this an important area for communications businesses to be getting right? Um, I think it's I think it's vital for all businesses to get right across all sectors. Um, and obviously communications um, industry has a lot of, I guess, engagement with with end users who are consumers and customers. And I think that's a really important point in all of this. And because of that, I think companies in this sector will um, by now have set pretty stretching targets, corporate targets around net zero. And therefore, because of that, um, there is a real need to deliver on those. So for those organisations, um, there's going to be a range of um, things coming at them, whether they are um, pressures from you know, corporate stakeholders, such as uh, investors and shareholders, and also customers, employees is really important. But also from a legal sense, there's emerging law um, across the EU and in different jurisdictions which are legally requiring that um, and so in order to in order to deliver on those targets and to make sure they're compliant with the emerging law in this area um, companies in this sector will will have to be taking action right now and, and I imagine to be honest most of them have already started doing so. That's great Matt that's really useful and as you mentioned we've heard lots about those commitments and positive marketing messages um, coming out of industry but in your experience has that actually been translating into on the ground changes in business contracts um, or do you think communications businesses should be doing more? Oh, I think it, I think it will be um, but it's interesting because I think it's it's still a it's still a, a point of evolution I think as as all things in the legal sector how how commercial practice and commercial pressures then translate into what's happening in the law um, but we we have got some really big important legal changes coming we've got something coming into the eu called the corporate sustainability due diligence directive and the corporate sustainability reporting directive both those directives are going to drive a lot of this change for example the csdd is it actually going to legally require if organizations are caught within that to cascade um, ESG clauses, if you like, through their through their value chain, um, and so they and that's that's expressly written in in that law. So you know that that's a big change for a start. But I think I think to be honest, it's going to be more imperative, almost from a voluntary point of view, as much as anything, because I think in order for companies in this sector to win business 
particularly with the public sector is a, is a good example who are mandating actually in their RFPs net zero um, kind of qualification levels, if you like, um, in order to in order to be relevant, in order to be resilient, and to be continuing to win future business. Um, Organisations are going to have to make sure this stuff is going to be baked into their contracts. And 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 the big important thing about net zero, just just to finish, is you know most most of these companies will have set um, net zero targets across all three emission scopes. And you know scope three emissions, those indirect emissions, you know for for a lot of these companies, you know the way that that can be managed and for those emissions to be reduced will be by influencing what um, their supply chain partners are doing around their own carbon emissions and and you know one of the best ways to to actually address that as, uh, as well as engagement with those commercial partners is through um you know putting clauses in contracts to, to to have a bit of a stick to it if you like yeah that's that's great matt and i think that leads us sort of onto the question i was going to um ask next um so turning to you vic um how are contracts in the telecoms industry specifically um, evolving to address these green issues? Well, we have long since seen contracts in this industry include clauses in order to comply with relevant statutory obligations. So an example of this is a telco contract which involves the disposal of IT and telecoms equipment, where we see clauses which place a financial responsibility on the producers and distributors to fund and pay for collection and disposal schemes. And that sort of clause is included to comply with the 2013 Waste Electrical and Electronic Equipment Regulations, the aim being to encourage reuse and recycling and to protect the environment and human health. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen we've seen plenty of those clauses historically um, across all manner of contracts. Um, what about market practice now, though? Yes. Yeah, so what we're seeing now is businesses wanting to discuss imposing much broader ESG obligations on their counterparties, which don't necessarily reflect a legal requirement, but instead reflect that party's desire to reduce its overall carbon emissions or progress along a sustainability path and to encourage or require its counterparties to do likewise. Um, and a telco might want to do this for a number of reasons, as Matt has touched on. It may have made a public statement regarding its net zero commitments and then need to implement changes to comply with that statement. Um, it may be getting some pressure from its investors in relation to its supply chain. Its marketing teams may want to make claims about the telco's products and services. Or the business might be thinking about its long term resilience, about its access to the right talent the right suppliers, the right funds, and its access to customers. So whatever the impetus is for thinking about this now, we are speaking to lots of businesses who want to start making changes in this area. Yeah, so lots and lots of drivers um, for, for change here. Before, before we get into talking about some specific green clauses, um, what other measures should uh, telcos be thinking about to implement ESG priorities into its supply chain? Well, one important thing a business can do is to review the RFP or due diligence questions that it asks of its suppliers as part of its procurement process. So a business should consider whether those questions, which it might have been using for some time, still properly reflect its strategic goals in relation to carbon reduction and sustainability. Could they perhaps be improved? 
and the business should consider how the information will be used. Might the information be contractualized and used as a baseline in due course so that specific measurable information is needed? Or does the business prefer to ask more general questions around how working with that potential supplier could, could contribute to the telco's net zero or sustainability goals? As to what contractual clauses can be included, a lot will depend on the size of the customer and the supplier, the bargaining position of the two, and exactly what the contract is covering. Broadly, the higher value and longer term a contract, perhaps the more likely that robust clauses will be included. Yeah, so there's obviously lots of variables there um, in, in terms of what clauses might look like. Um, where do you think businesses should be starting with drafting them? A useful starting point is to look at the work of the Chancery Lane project. In case anyone is just starting out in this area, the Chancery Lane project is a collaborative effort of lawyers around the world to draft new contract clauses in order to fight climate change and use climate aligned clauses in contract drafting. And there are now nearly 150 clauses. And um, the Chancery Lane project has also put together a useful glossary of climate related terms, which is helpful. And what the TCLP has said is that it wants to shift the dial, it wants to make climate aligned drafting that seems ambitious the norm. So if you've looked at the clauses, um, you will probably see that they appear aspirational, but the mm -hmm. aim is to make these types of clauses much more common in the market. And what we're doing at OC is that we're working with our clients to include new clauses that impose obligations on the counterparty that will work in that particular relationship. So the clauses might impose broad obligations that seek to minimise the environmental and climate impacts resulting from performance of the agreement. Or less commonly, they might require the counterparty to commit to report on its greenhouse gas emissions and then reduce those emissions on a yearly basis. Okay, and and on that theme, is there any kind of industry standard for these clauses? There isn't an industry standard as yet. Currently, we're drafting bespoke clauses um, for specific situations, but it may well be that a market standard approach is developed over time. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Vic, for that. And what are your thoughts on this, Roger? What are you seeing in Spain? Are there any legal requirements to include climate clauses? Yes, in Spain, it is quite similar. I mean, green contracting in the telecom sector uh, has gained significant attention in recent years. Although Spanish law does not impose specific obligations to include climate clauses in contracts, Spain is taking proactive mm, steps in this direction. Mm -hmm. As an example, uh, we have seen that the Spanish public procurement framework has undergone significant changes to align with European Union sustainability goals. Spanish public sector contracts law introduced new provisions which encourage public entities to consider environmental and social criteria in their decision-making processes when awarding contracts. At the end of the day, the aim is to promote sustainability and the inclusion of environmental clauses in contracts in order to strengthen green practices. Okay, so there's a there's a direction of travel towards standardization by the by the sounds of things. Are, are telecoms businesses in Spain doing anything else um, on a voluntary basis? Yes, they are uh, increasingly recognizing the importance of incorporating sustainability into their operations. Uh, major Spanish players in the telecommunications sector uh, have indeed voluntarily adopted green contracting practices and are including ESG clauses in their agreements with suppliers to mm -hmm. oblige them to improve their environmental governance and to take aligned actions. 
particularly in relation to waste management. Uh, we have seen also that Spanish consumers uh, are showing an increased interest in environmentally responsible businesses. So there is a growing customer demand for companies for companies to adopt sustainable practices. Yeah, and I think what you say about Spanish consumers is, is probably something that we're seeing universally, actually, the kind of interest in, um, you know, in, in, in contracting with, with responsible businesses. Um, that's all really interesting. And um, what about the what about the future, Roger? Yes, well, the future. I mean, while Spanish businesses uh, have made uh, progress in embracing green contracting, there is always uh, some room for improvement. So uh, some business will likely need to develop a more proportionate approach to sustainability. Uh, ensuring that their environmental commitments align with the scale of their operation. Uh, these, of course, may involve new technologies, incorporating AI, digitalization of procedures, investing in, in clean energy sources, or promoting circular economy principles within their supply chain. Thanks, Roger. That's, uh, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, and then just to sort of conclude on this, what are your thoughts on enforcement? Um, it's obviously, um, you know, obviously including contractual obligations is one thing, but ensuring they're actually complied with um, and effective is, is another one. Yeah, sure. I mean, enforcement of green contractual obligations is a critical aspect for their effectiveness. For this reason, uh, it is crucial for companies to, to clearly and measurably define climate risk and concerns in an enforceable contractual clause by, by identifying specific targets and milestones, as well as defining whether the supplier is required to do so something in a certain manner or to achieve a specific result. It is also important to, to identify the, the consequences of the breach. Uh, in this regard, it is interesting that uh, clients we are talking to are not placing emphasis on having associated liquidated damages in the event of breach or termination rights. So at the end, a failure is not necessarily being used as a reason to get out of a contract, but instead a more collaborative approach uh, is being taken where the customer wants the supplier to improve and do better in the ESG space, but is willing to work with that supplier to, to, to achieve that improved position for the benefit of uh, the parties, of both parties, and perhaps uh, for the supply chain as a, as a whole. Yeah, and, uh, and that's what we're definitely seeing in the UK as well. Yes, uh, interesting, yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, in, in any case, contracts uh, should clearly define the rights and responsibilities of both parties and establish mechanisms for monitoring and verifying environmental performance. Uh, this may include periodic audits, accountability measures, reporting requirements, and access to relevant data which obviously requires adequate budgets and resources to oversee and enforce green contracting provisions effectively. Thanks very much, Roger. And Joanna, turning to you now, what can you tell us about market practice in France? Um, has your experience been the same as Roger's in Spain? Yeah, it's not exactly the same in France because in France we haven't yet seen the development of market practice to include green clauses 
at least voluntarily. And I explain it by the fact that, as you know, the role played by the state in terms of regulation is really strong in France. And that's why, whether in terms of circular economy, decarbonation or ESG, uh, the French state plays an important role by imposing standards and goals to achieve for companies. So the state is adopting more and more laws that oblige companies to consider and disclose environmental issues. This started in 2001 with the non-financial reporting and it gained momentum in 2017 with the duty of care. Now many companies have the obligation to disclose their environmental activity and that was afterward imposed by the EU under the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. So for now, industry have not been very proactive on green clauses specifically. However, we are seeing in France a strong interest by company, and no matter how big or small uh, they are, to implement corporate social responsibility or RSE in France, uh, which we expect will tra translate into a greenification, if I could say, of the contract in the longer term. So the most powerful example, as much say, it's uh, about the way we are seeing the implementation of environmental goals in through public invitation to tender, because now company need to present their environmental process if they want to be chosen by the public buyer. So I think we are witnessing in France a change of mindset and maybe a change within this uh, environmental clause. Interesting. Um, and so moving on from there, what, what are your expectations of, of how things will develop into the future? Do you think that, that climate clauses will eventually become the default? Um, I think because the problem is global, we need the global response and that's why I expect in the future to see a further harmonization of climate clauses in order to establish common position, uh, it's including also American and Asian continent. And I mean, having the same parameters to prevent greenwashing, especially. Um, nevertheless, if states impose too many climate clauses in every contract, we'll have to see if they reach a good balance between freedom of contract and achievement of the net zero goals. Uh, so I think the fight against global warming is so important that I believe in a certain point that yes, climate clauses will become the default because at least in France, if commitments toward net zero only rely on the will of everyone, then there is a risk that it would be insufficient. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is an important point. Um, that's brilliant. Um, that's been a really interesting and really useful um, discussion with with lots of um, different takeaways, um, both from the, the UK and uh, European perspective. Just to, to wrap up then, I think my three key takeaways are, um, firstly, this is very much an evolving area um, and one that's becoming increasingly legalised, particularly in Europe. And we may well see some harmonisation um, in the future um, as part of that global response to climate change. Secondly, Voluntary clauses and supply chain collaboration and engagement, um, particularly at the RFP stage, um, seems to be currently more the norm in the telecoms industry, uh, albeit mandatory clauses may be imposed for those higher value um, and longer term contracts that we see. And then finally, enforcement and monitoring um, is always going to be a challenge and, uh, and something that needs careful consideration um, in your contracts. So there we have it. Um, if you're interested in discussing any of the issues in this podcast further, please do get in touch um, with any one of us and we'd be happy um, to discuss further. Um, on that note, thank you for joining us and we hope to see you again next month. <laughs>